Welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast. We address the issues, opportunities, and challenges facing women in the development of the metaverse, the biggest revolution since the internet itself. Every week, we bring you conversations with top female talent and business executives operating in the gaming and crypto industries. Here's your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. The Meta Woman Podcast starts now. Hello, and welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast, part of the Holodeck Media Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. From struggle to success, we're covering it all. For our returning listeners, thank you so much for supporting the show. And for our new listeners, welcome. I hope you enjoy. This week's guest is the wonderful Carrie Tilds, Chief Strategy and Operations Officer at Frameplay. Carrie, welcome to the show. To start, I would love for you to give the audience a bit about yourself and your background so we can get to know you. Thank you so much. I was pretty excited when I reached out to you because I'm a big fan. Um, so I'm, I'm fangirling right now um, as I get to do this experience with you. So just that's worth noting. Um, gosh, I've been in uh, technology and innovation for a really long time. I've worked for very large advertising companies like WPP. One of the most noteworthy roles I had was chief innovation officer there. And um, I was lucky enough to uh, work at a joint venture owned by Ford Motor Company for a couple of years. And now I work at an in-game ad tech company called Frameplay. So um, kind of crossed the gamut of, of a lot of different things, all with the same theme of innovation, ad technology, creating beautiful experiences for brands, um, you know, startups, et cetera. I just want to make a note for all the listeners out there that Carrie actually reached out to me via LinkedIn and sent me a really warm and kind message. And I just, as someone who hesitates to reach out, I very much appreciate when people make that first step. So thank you for doing that because um, it can often lead to really, really great things. And I'm so happy to have you on. I'm so happy that you did that. Yeah, the uh, best connections are are like that, right? When you yeah. just, you know, try to make an authentic connection and say, I think we have mutual, you know, interests and why don't we mm -hmm. get together and chat? Yes. And I think that it can be often daunting to kind of take that step and to reach out, but it also leads to really fruitful things. So I'm, I'm very appreciative that, that you decided to do that and I encourage my listeners to shoot their shot on LinkedIn and reach out to some <laughs> folks if they're, they're interested in what they do. Um, one of the other things that we talked about when I previously met you and you've just gone into this a little bit with giving your background was that you you kind of made this big jump into gaming. Um, so you had the advertising experience and had done a lot with innovation and technology. But what made you want to kind of pursue gaming at a, at a higher level? What opportunities did you see? Well, certainly uh, I grew up with games in my life. I was very lucky. We didn't, you know, have a lot necessarily, but we certainly always had some sort of gaming, you know, console in our home. And so I, you know, grew up as, at a young play, age playing, you know, Donkey Kong and Frogger. And then obviously it evolved from there. And I was one of those um, parents who was very proactive about having my kids play games. Um, I always thought it was a fantastic creative environment and experience for them. So I was always a big fan of gaming. So there's that. But when I met the, um, met the founders of the company and heard about what they were doing, I immediately knew that this was a gap that hadn't yet been filled. I had um, been through all of the other digital channels before, 
starting with the transition and growth and development of search, you know, into the years of mobile and social and video and programmatic and big data and all those good things. And I had had uh, experience with some gaming early on when I um, led digital media uh, strategy for Ford Motor Company. We did some early gamer gaming um, uh, campaigns. And I had a I had a brilliant strategist I was lucky enough to work with on my team. But those were, you know, hard-coded type of experiences. They were a little more challenging to deal with. And when I um, when I had known about Massive, we had we had worked with Massive here and there throughout the years, uh, throughout my career at the agency. Um, I had that experience too. So I realized uh, when I had met the founders that this had been such an untapped marketplace. And I'm an innovator. That's I've spent my whole career, you know, filling filling the gap and helping people cross the chasm. So I knew right away that this was the opportunity for me. All of those roads led to me jumping in with both feet, going from big companies to startup. It just made total sense. And how did you get into the position you're currently at with Frameplay? Yeah, it's funny when I met um, Jonathan, especially the CEO. Um, I told him, and this is actually another kind of career advice, I guess. I told him that uh, he had a CMO. His CMO is lovely. I, I've been able to interact with him a little bit. Um, he was stepping on to do something else, and they wanted me to take the CMO role. And I said, I certainly, you know, can do that. I said, but I, I'm going to do five other things for you too. And so um, we defined the chief strategy and operations role, mainly because I, I really did want to lean in and do not just, you know, marketing, but also strategy and operations and set the company up oh, for yeah. success. I had that background. Um, so that was probably the third or fourth time in my career where I was lucky enough to just define the role that I thought I authentically could do um, that would bring the best out of me and also allow me to help contribute, you know, to the company in the more, most meaningful way. So that's how, that's how the role came to be. That's really great advice. Um, one of a previous guests had one time said, never be your company's best kept secret. And I think one of the ways you can do that is by setting out from day one, what you're looking to do and how your skills kind of match that. Um, so I think that's, that's great advice. And again, you're in the right environment, of course, that helps a lot. It does. It <laughs> um, helps a lot when you work for a company where you can be authentically you. And that's a absolutely. really important point yeah. to the whole matter. Oh, yeah. And where management uh, supports that. So I want to shift gears just a little bit and talk about what you do with advertising and marketing and how you take a creative and innovative approach to that. Over the past couple of years, we've definitely seen a lot of negativity surrounding digital ads. Gamers especially are known to be a fickle audience and targeted ads on social media have come up in everything from news stories to congressional hearings to people's moms on Facebook have even probably shared some some issues that they have with targeted ads. Uh, it's definitely hard to remember why advertising is such a huge part of our lives these days and why it's not all bad news. Um, but I would love to hear from someone who is looking at this industry and trying to bring authenticity to it. What excites you about working in advertising? Yeah, for sure. And I think that the first um, part of that answer, and then I'll, I'll, I'll end with what excites me, is the premise that games are funded uh, sometimes by people paying, but sometimes they're free to play. A lot of times they're free to play. 
And mm-hmm. the idea that we, as you know, the gaming community, want to have you know more content, more games, etc., requires us to have funding models. And um, current monetization models are being challenged by the fragmentation and the and the changes in the industry related to cookies and and um, you know mobile IDs and privacy and, and all of those things that are important topics. And so when you think about new monetization strategies, it's really about supporting the game development uh, gaming community. Um, but really at the center of that is making sure that the game experience is taken care of. You know, gamers don't want, when they're actively playing the game, they don't want to be disrupted. Right. They want the performance and the experience of the game to be amazing. And so how do you, the, the goal is to determine how you can put brand messaging in that environment in an authentic way without disrupting the performance of this experience of the game. Honestly, that should be the same exact goal as all advertising. It shouldn't be just related to video games. Um, video gamers are, I would say, the most discerning crowd on the planet. You know, they care greatly about their content experience as they should. Um, but what if you thought about that exact philosophy um, to the rest of advertising? What if you put the content first? What if you put the experience first? What if you really thought about the context in a much more meaningful way rather than thinking about it as a targeting tactic? You thought about it as actually how does your brand message resonate in this environment? What do I need to do differently as a brand marketer in order to truly show up? in this mm-hmm. environment in the more meaningful way. And what gets me excited about advertising is solving those complex problems, solving the complex problem of context, content, creative, so that ultimately the consumer, or the gamer in this case, is thought of first and not last. Um, and so that's sometimes a hard problem. Sometimes people get lost in, you know, the doing the day-to-day operation of digital marketing, and they they sometimes forget that the, it's actually the consumer experience at the end that matters, and that's what will pay out for the brand in the end. So that's what gets me excited every day. So think about that complex problem solving. I want to dig uh, dig deeper on this because the question of authenticity and how to authentically reach gamers comes up quite a lot. I the word authenticity gets tossed around in the gaming industry a lot. I think I think it's it's becoming one of those kind of buzzwords where I think people have a good there's a good heart behind it, but I don't know that the word holds all the meaning that it used to. Uh, if everyone is trying to be authentic, but also trying to sell an experience or a product, I think I think that it can it can all get convoluted. And in a recent blog post, which we'll link in the show notes, I I think that you framed authenticity in a new way that I found much more compelling personally and you used the word seamless and the idea of a seamless experience maybe rather than a completely authentic experience um again these words they change in their meaning but i I feel as if when it comes to advertising seamless experiences may be of more important than authenticity fully but how do you weigh those two things and what does this seamless experience mean to you that's that's great. Thank you so much for first of all for reading the, the article. Um, you know, understanding the environment is the first part of what I mean by that. And uh, we've done a significant amount of work at, uh, with the IAB UK and the IAB US to uh, 
break down what in-game advertising actually means, for example. And, you know, up until this year, it was basically a big, you know, bucket of stuff. So when I first started at Frameplay and I told people what I did, they were like, oh, okay, like Twitch? And I would say, no, Twitch is great. Twitch is people watching people play games. What I do is work with game developers to put ads in their games for people who play games. And what the IV work really did was start to break those, um, those environments down into much more meaningful um, components. So there's a difference between people who watch people play games and people who play games. There's a difference between ads that might be around or next to a game when you've paused the game. You're either in between levels, you finished it, you know, whatever the case may be. And then when people are actually actively playing the game, they're in full attention. They're not folding their laundry. They're not multitasking. They're literally immersed in that world. Intrinsic in game advertising is, is, is a much more, you know, meaningful experience and different experience than the others. And so when you think about the word seamless, what what that means in all of those environments is something very different. Um, Treating those environments differently will allow the brand marketer or the brands um, to be authentic, but be integrated into the environment or the experience that's bespoke to that experience. And that's what we need to do as an industry is start to break down the experiences and not kind of do this whole kind of um, peanut butter approach. Is that what they call it? Um, To gaming, but really, again, educate yourself, learn so that when you go into these environments, um, you think about them discreetly and your ads become seamless. Okay. And you've used this term intrinsic advertising. I believe you did define it before, but can you just reiterate what that means to you? Exactly what it means? Yes. Um, I particularly like the don't be a clickhead movement. I think that's a very <laughs> clever pun. Um, but yeah, I, and I just want to make sure that the everyone, myself included, understands what the exact definition of intrinsic advertising is and what it means for sure. the gaming industry. Frank Play certainly, you know, came out with this this word and this meaning um, when we first launched our company. So uh, the meaning was really debated thoughtfully and carefully you know, before the word was chosen, at least by the founders and the founding team. And the goal is to think about the idea of the word intrinsic. It means natural, um, mm-hmm. naturally placed inside the game. And there's another, um, there's another ad context in the industry already. It's called native. Um, and that's really for more web-based or app-based ads. But intrinsic is meant to delineate from web and app-based you know, ads, um, meaning intrinsically or naturally inside of the game. It is officially now the new ad context for ads that are placed inside the actual environment itself. Um, versus around or next to the game. Um, it's officially the ad context of the IAB um, as of fall last year. So that's what it means. Naturally placed inside the environment of the game. Gotcha. And so that is just so that I make sure I'm crystal clear. That's the difference between, say, I don't know, I play puzzle games a lot. So let's say a banner on the bottom of the puzzle game and like maybe an item or something that is representative of 
of the thing that's being advertised in the yeah. actual game that I click yeah. and drag when I'm creating the puzzle or whatever it may be. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the ad, um, the ad that might, you know, kind of like flow up or pop up, um, mm-hmm. isn't, you know, integrated into the actual game design. That's how we think about it is integrating it into the design. We have wonderful, um, uh, games in our network. And, you know, one of them is, uh, a town and you flip houses and um, part of the design of the town, you have billboards in the town and you have signage in the town. And when you're walking through the town, you're going to see advertising. So instead of fake ads, it'd be better to just have, you know, Pizza Hut or Progressive Insurance. Right. Um, and uh, or if you're playing, you know, golf or tennis, you often see, you know, ads placed appropriately throughout the course, um, you know, throughout your experience, especially if you're playing in a tournament. So. Um, that's what we mean. Place naturally or intrinsically inside the environment itself. The game designer places the ad. That's the beauty of this whole thing. Because they're designing the game, they're thinking through where does this make sense in context of the actual experience of the game, of the design or the context of the game. Just as much as they think about putting a tree on the corner of whatever the experience is, they'll think about, I should probably put advertising. And why not have intrinsic in game advertising um it helps monetize the game yeah that makes a lot of sense okay i like i like the way that you put that zooming out to the company side we've talked about the developers and the gaming audience but what opportunities should companies be on the lookout for to make an ex- a seamless an experience seamless ah, tripping over my words there and what shouldn't they do so um when you mean companies, do you mean game developers or advertisers? I think both. I would okay. like to hear from both perspectives. You know, what what can, because like, as you're saying, you know, maybe you're walking through a town and there's a Pizza Hut ad and that makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense because mm-hmm. that might happen in the real world. Now but we're both going to be hungry for pizza. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Who isn't? Um, but there might be some other company where it wouldn't and actually um, I think that auto insurance is particularly clever because if any, everyone sees a bunch of auto insurance <laughs> advertisements everywhere. So this would actually be a new way to consume them, but I'm trying to think, and I can't come up with an example on the spot, but there's ways or things obviously where companies wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense in the oh, yes. particular context of that oh, game. Yes. Oh, yes. So how are you kind of able to do that matchmaking process where it's like, okay, if you're in a town, it makes sense to have Progressive auto insurance, but maybe if you're playing an outer space game, there might be something else that maybe fits that theme a little bit better. Yeah. Um, so yeah. from both the game developer's perspective, as in keeping their games free and learning how to properly advertise and including advertising in a way that is intrinsic and popular with their audience to continue playing. And from companies' perspective who are looking to advertise in the proper worlds, how do you go about that kind of matchmaking process? Yes. And are there, is there anything that stands out as like a not necessarily anything frame play has done, but any other ad campaigns that you've seen other places, other companies where you thought mm, that really misses the mark. For 100%, this percent. I've got all sorts of answers. And also this is good for games that aren't just free to play. You know, certainly we have mm-hmm. clients that do charge, but maybe they don't charge as much because they can offset it with, with, um, with the new monetization stream. I'm tripping over my words. Um, so when you think about the development process, um, at least for our philosophy, the number one thing we do is we work hand in hand with them. And we, we they certainly have complete control. They are the designers of the game. Um, 
So we help guide and advise them. We want to make sure that they put ads in the game where they naturally belong, where they intrinsically belong. So that's really important because at the end of the day, it's about optimizing the experience, the joy, the delight, um, sometimes the competition, whatever you're playing a game for. So at the core of this is getting the actual design right and making sure that you're putting those placements in the right spot. The other part of it is making sure you put them in a spot where people will see them. Um, our technology actually calculates whether or not you, you've, you, as the player, see the ad. We have mm -hmm. a 3D um, viewability capability that constantly calculates that. So we're going to be able to give our, our game developers feedback on whether or not the placements in their game were seen. Um, they want them to be seen because they make money. And they also want to make sure that the brands are happy. So that's part of that journey is, is you know, very hands-on QAing those processes. These are oftentimes very, you know, multi-year works of art. And making sure that we get that right is really, really important. I've seen um, on the game developer side, I've seen um, where we've, uh, it's not been our technology. Um, maybe the technology isn't um, as, as um, ready. Um, and it might actually deliver ads that aren't actually showing up. It might be with a black box or something. So making sure that the tech, the tech is tested um, and properly renders ads um, because these are real-time live streaming experiences. Um, mm -hmm. And so do it, having the game developers, they do that. They do due diligence with us. They want to make sure that you know, our technology, you know, our frame per second you know, load is very, very low. Um, all those things that they should do, you know, with us. And I think they found, you know, that some, some hiccups along the way with some, with some other approaches. Um, on the advertiser side, um, we actually have a different creative standard. So think about a web banner ad. Okay. What we see in a web banner ad is install now, click here, some calls to action, or it might be a ton of text, or it might be, you know, just a lot of stuff going on because typically people, they're, you know, staring at a web page or whatever. In a game, you're constantly moving. You're playing. It's an environment. So what you want to do, first of all, is make sure that the ad, it doesn't have all the stuff in it, that it's easy to understand. Um, it gets your message, a point, uh, message and point across very clearly. So you're going to highlight logos. You're going to highlight imagery. You're going to highlight your brand colors. You're going to keep text uh, limited, and you're certainly not going to say click here while they're actively playing a game, <laughs> um, at least for now, because that experience um, would actually stop the, you know, stop the game flow. There are appropriate, appropriate places to certainly be able to click on, on ads in games, but not during absolute active gameplay. That's just That would weird. drive me crazy. Yeah. That would drive everybody crazy. Yeah. No um, thanks. <laughs> So we do work hand in hand with the, you know, the world's biggest uh, brands to make sure that their ads are redone and streamlined. The other thing is high, higher quality. You know, if you look at these games, they're built on game engines um, that are rendering the imagery at, and on devices that can take much higher quality experiences than maybe web pages um, and apps today. So we do ask for, you know, higher pixel density and you know, a couple of other things to make sure that um, the ad quality looks as good as the tapestry in which it's in. So, so that's a big deal too. And I, we've seen some missteps again from some other you know, instances outside of our, 
our platform and our network where um, they might accept current web-based um, ads and they just, they just don't look good. Um, uh, just, you know, as is. So, so we take a lot of uh, pride in getting the tech right and getting the creative right. And when we know we do that, the gamer is serviced, um, you know, first and foremost with a beautiful experience and then the brand and the game developer win accordingly in that order. As someone who has experienced the black box ads <laughs> and had to quit a game or restart a game as a result of them not loading properly, I think that that's, yeah, you're right. That's extremely important. Extremely. Yeah. I, I like that you've pointed out some things that are differentiating because um, I think that that's a, a better way of framing it. But how have gamers responded to this type of advertising? I'm particularly interested in this because the best response to be would, would, to me, looking at this as a gamer, would be no response. As in, yes. not that yes. they, yeah, that they don't necessarily notice that, yes. the, yeah, not natural ad or intrinsic advertising, right? That it's just, it's part of the experience, it's in there, um, and it, it kind of just works. And so, but that makes your job a little bit hard because you're not necessarily getting feedback on, yeah. hey, this is a great, great placement, you know? So how, how are you able to keep track yes. of all of that. <laughs> yes, that's a great question. So number one, certainly, yes. One of the things that, especially early on when we launched one of the world's biggest um, gaming studios um, was that we got zero feedback from them. You know, usually when they launch other features or other types of uh, monetization things, they'll, you know, they definitely will get feedback. Uh, we, we got none, which was, well, we got some from them saying they got none, which was good. Um, but we do get feedback. Uh, brands do ask us for that. And we work with companies like Comscore. We do very methodical brand lift studies um, where we ask people, are you a gamer? Number one, you know, do you play games? Do you specifically play these games? Have you played these games where our ads are in exposed versus control? And um, one of the questions, aside from mobile ad recall and purchase intent, which are standard brand metrics that we do ask them, is do you like the sponsorship of the game? Do you like the fact that this particular brand was in the game? And we have seen plus 20 to plus 40% lift um, in that answer and in the other answers because they do value it. They think it makes the game better. They think it improves the experience. Um, it's not disrupting. It makes it more real um, versus, you know, Fake Fred, fake Freddy's Pizza at Riverside Drive or whatever. <laughs> I hope that's not a real thing. Um, but but that's that's what we do, and so we do we do a lot of research like that. We we have a lot more coming out in the next you know two months um, that we'll talk about in, at a later time. Um, uh, but we do ask them that, and they do tell us. Um, you know, gamers aren't shy at all. So. They will let you know best and worst qualities. <laughs> no, they'll let you know, which is wonderful. Right. Uh, it's, yeah, I definitely. Uh, yes. I think that we have all heard instances of the gamer community reacting negatively to things. Yes. Um, yes. So yes, yes. It, it is strange to say that no feedback is good feedback, but when it comes to this particular industry, that's very true. Um, mm -hmm. So I suppose it's a good thing that you haven't, heard anything <laughs> thus far. Um, that, that's very encouraging. I wanted to get into a little bit about diversity, equity, inclusion as well, because I know from your point of view, and we've talked about this um, previously, but why has it taken so long for the advertising industry to recognize that gamers as diverse as the human race, because over 2 billion people in the world play, world play games and 
there's only 7 billion people in the world. So presumably <laughs> there's a large percentage of the population playing games. But why do you think it's advertised? Why do you think it's taken advertisers so long to recognize that and to expand the type of experience that they're building in game and the ways that they're trying to reach folks in game mm -hmm. uh, to yeah. actually see that there's a wide variety of audiences they can reach? Yeah, I think, first of all, if you talk about what's happening outside of gaming and, and that helps us a little bit. So, you know, even, um, you know, say 20 years ago, of course, the multicultural agencies exist even more so. And, and that was good. But they were they were, you know, sad but true considered boutique type agencies in a way, niche type agencies. And the reason I was thinking through this question, the reason I think that was at the time and even up until, you know, somewhat recently is because the advertising industry um, craved scale. Um, they crave scale first. If they can reach as many people that possibly can buy their product at the same time without doing very much different, they can have their scale be efficient scale. I think what they've learned over the years with a lot of the cultural movements that have happened, of course, you know, I don't need to name all of them. Many of them are top of all of our minds. But um, I think the idea of scale is, is important, but, but scale and context with a context overlay is, is incredibly important. And when you think about context and the right context, um, then you definitely need to start talking about DEI um, in media and media reaching, reaching people. Um, people are not all the same. We are, in fact, different. Who knew? Um, and so I think the industry has definitely um, done a lot of really valuable things. I even see programmatic, um, you know, specific programmatic PMPs now being started by many of the holding companies um, that, that, that actually directly, you know, serve underserved communities, et cetera, like that. So I think there's been, I think there's been movement just in general. In the advertising industry, we have a lot to go. In the movie industry, which actually gaming and, and the entertainment, you know, the movie industry are very similar in so many ways. Um, in the movie industry, in the last five years, you've seen so many um, uh, specific, you know, actors, especially actors, stand up and saying, I'm going to create an entire production house just to serve um, this community or that community. And that didn't happen 15 years ago either. So we've got some really good momentum in, in general, but I feel like it's pretty new and recent. Now, when you, when you talk about gaming, it's actually almost 3 billion people. So it's almost half, let's say, yep. of the population yep. on the planet. When and I said over two, I was thinking that number is actually 2.7. I should have said nearly three. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I will be a staunch defender of that number. Um, so, so, the, so the gaming industry has, has been in its own bubble. Let's just call it what it is. We've been in an own bubble for a very long time. And, you know, so the whole, again, over here, the whole world was doing all the things I just explained. We're getting better. We're working and all that. And then the gaming industry was in its own little bubble, not, you know, following some of that, but we've all read the headlines, not following some of those things too. And in the wrong sort of ways. So, um, so I do believe that the current is there. The current is there. I believe that we have the right setup. I believe we have the consumer or the gamer standing up and saying, no, I want you to treat me differently. I want representation. I want to see someone that looks like me in your content. Content. 
movies, TV shows, gaming. So I think gaming is going to benefit from that kind of general wave of change, which is fantastic. But there's a lot of work to do in the gaming industry to keep up with the, that current because, you know, there's a lot of legacy that needs to be sorted, I would say. I think that that's been the overwhelming sentiment is, well, first of all, it, it's, it's been more so about, for the people that I've interviewed, the principles of DEI and the incorporation of them. There's been issues with timing, both in that it's taken far too long and progress has been far too slow. So I think that you're right. You know, you're saying DEI companies and consulting firms started, you know, 20 years ago. And yet we're it took some horrendous events and some worldwide, just absolutely terrible whole pandemic (laughs) for everyone to sit down and, and start listening to the folks that have been shouting it from the rooftop for years. Um, yeah. I think that, yeah, I think you represent a fairly, a fairly agreed upon view that yes, we are happy that there's movement. We're happy that this current exists. However, the speed it's taken us to start listening to these folks and the speed at which we're implementing change can be very frustrating. Yeah. Um, how do you think about that when you're creating these experiences and when you're choosing people to work with, or when you're, working on a project like how are you kind of thinking about bringing in DEI and picking up this current yes I you know I gotta tell you I was never um I didn't I didn't in my earlier career um join uh women's groups for example um why didn't I I don't know I had kids I was busy whatever I'm not sure why I didn't do it um but I am now a massive believer in joining um, groups where people can help you understand the issues better than, you know, basically shed light on the things that you just don't know. And so I'm really thankful um, that through this job, I was able to join um, a kind of a women in games leadership group that's, you know, CEOs, venture capital, um, C-suite type people. And we talk about this topic every two weeks, we, we commit to each other to show up and create um, an environment where we can say hard things. And I would say creating an environment where you can say hard things, say, I'm struggling with this. I don't know how to solve that. Um, the second part of that is um, create an environment where you can support each other. Hey, GDC is coming to town. We're doing a panel right now. It's not diverse. We need diversity on the panel. Reaching out, having a network that you can create, that you can reach out and and just do those things and make sure that you're being purposeful in everything that you're doing to make sure that um, your fabric is truly a fabric of, of, you know, all sorts of um, perspectives, um, cultures, etc., um, at work at Frameplay, you know, when I joined, there were only a handful of uh, people. And honestly, it was nearly all Caucasian. Um, again, it was very, very early. Um, and we made an absolute um, purposeful um, plan to have as much diversity in the company as possible, even though we're under 50 employees. Um, and I'm really proud of the progress that we've made. Um, you know, I'm sitting here, which is great, but we have an incredible team of, of, of men and women and, and um, different cultures. Are we perfect with our diversity numbers? No, but we make every effort in our um, hiring and in our interviewing 
um, making sure our candidate selection is diverse, making sure we're looking at different pools of talent. Um, that's another uh, thing you have to do is not always look in the same spot. Um, cause, cause that actually makes us a better company. Um, the data is there that suggests that our performance is better when, when we have, um, different perspectives. So, um, so those are the things I think about, um, you know, on this topic and I'm still learning, you know, just never think that, you know, everything. I think that's the number one thing in this because God, we don't walk in other people's shoes. So you've got to be able to put yourself in positions to listen to them and have them tell their story. I like this piece of advice a lot to find a group of people that can not only help you further understand issues, but support you as you work through them. Yes. Um, I think that a lot of what you're talking about takes bravery and it takes recognizing when you're inside of your own box and it takes stepping out of it. It can be uh, really, really difficult. But if you have a group of people where you feel you can be honest and, and get the support that you need, it certainly makes it easier. Uh, I also will mention that I had a previous guest who said, and I feel like I referenced a lot of past episodes here, but um, it's great. I love being able to to bring people on and then talk about all the great conversations I've had and work some of the lessons that I've learned by doing this. And but she had very succinctly said that DEI equals ROI. And I thought that was That's a true. great, great way of saying it. And you have further proven her point there. Yes, for sure. Yes. And so I do want to talk about how this all relates to the metaverse and the opportunities you see there. Metaverse is kind of this big. I don't know. I don't know exactly what to call it, but it's a big lump of confusion in terms of ideas and future tech. And there's a lot of possibility, but there's also a lot of pushback. Um, there's just there's a lot of excitement around this idea. And I think there's just as much skepticism, which which probably means that something is going to happen with it, right? <laughs> someone will be right and someone will be wrong. Um, yes. Or all, all the, the big group of us sitting in the middle will say, okay, yeah, we thought something was going to happen. Um, so how are you thinking about taking your ideas and your strategy into this space and taking ad, ad tech into this space and incorporating uh, DEI principles and all of that good stuff? Basically, yes. what does the metaverse mean to you? What are you thinking about? Yeah, first, I want to just mention to you about the hype. Um, because it's a perfect part of it. And then, of course, I'll answer the question. So um, when social first you know, started to grow, um, one of the biggest concepts within social was something called the open graph. Um, and the open graph basically was Facebook and others um, allowing for interoperability and also um, uh, basically kind of user development, user content development. Um, whether that be called UGC or just they allowed you to develop, you know, other applications that connected in and leverage the open graph. So it's a, that's a really important point um, to think about because in the beginning, people didn't understand the power of that, um, which fundamentally fueled, um, you know, a significant amount of the communication and um, content um, of the of the internet and, of course, of mobile applications. Um, so. If we think about the idea of that concept, and then you think about how that's being applied to some of the concept, concepts of the, of the metaverse or just Web3 overall, because the metaverse would be you know, one, one component of the concept of Web3. I happen to be a co-founder of the Web3 Marketing Association as well. And so we think about these concepts in, concept, in, in kind of the context of Web3 
transition, mm-hmm. metaverse being a virtual experience, um, an elevated virtual experience um, within Web3 that has other elements like you know new currencies, um, new data and technology kind of platforms and approaches, crypto, blockchain, um, new mm-hmm. forms of um, creative art, et cetera. Um, so the metaverse is, is, you know, certainly I think, you know, for shapes and forms of the concept of the metaverse will absolutely happen. Um, so that's, that for me is not really a debate, but the metaverse versus metaverse like experiences, I think are, are what people should be debating. Um, the true capability for the metaverse, meaning one single, you know, decentralized, um, <laughs> world, um, you know, is a wonderful vision, um, probably for science fiction, but um, metaverse experiences that that do interoperate and connect, I think, you know, certainly are the near term uh, reality that will happen if they already do. Um, how does gaming relate to the metaverse? Um, certainly, Frameplay, as, as mentioned, you know, is a leader in intrinsic in game advertising. And as mentioned, how we do that is our technology works with game engines. And for students of the metaverse, um, if you're a student of the metaverse, you know that uh, game engines are basically the primary drivers of the content experiences today. Um, They involve lots of different technology components for the novice to understand. They have basically creative libraries that help render those pictures. Um, They have um, audio capabilities that help the sound render in concert with the pictures. Um, in the experience, they have artificial intelligence, they have, you know, some physics engines, et cetera, to help everything kind of work together. Um, so this is different than websites and that cheese, people's cheese has to move there and they need to understand how game engines work. Game engines also power games. And so we are experts at serving ads inside of virtual environments that are games. That is our bread and butter today. We're we're very focused on that. We believe fully that um, the metaverse and video games are uh, mutually exclusive but complementary, um, and we think that they will forever be best friends um, in concert with each other. But they do definitely serve two different purposes, um, and we are very very focused on making sure that the experience and the performance of the the gaming environment that's powered by a game engine. Um, is is flawless uh, for the game for the gamer for the game developer and for the brand. And certainly, um, your question was, how does it apply to the metaverse? Well, of course, if you have a metaverse based on game engine mechanics, then there will be opportunities for you know that tech to translate into those environments in meaningful ways. Um, but we're focused today on on getting the games right. I like this distinction of the metaverse, capital T, capital M versus metaverse experiences. I I had written this in the notes, but there's a recent article about Steam founder Gabe Newell basically just being so grumpy about the metaverse. And it really kind of got me (laughs) down. Uh, And I've heard so many people say this is Second Life and all this stuff. Gabe Newell made a a good point of basically saying, you know, immersive experiences in video gaming have been around for a very long time. And I, I do tend to agree with that. I think where he falls short is not recognizing how those experiences might change and expand and adapt. Um, which I think is something that it sounds like you are excited about. I'm very, I'm very excited about that. Obviously, as a lifelong innovator, um, you know, I always love a good challenge. And as I mentioned, 
context creative, you know, content and consumer. And when you get those things right, um, especially in, you know, really complex virtual environments, um, you're going to win every time. Um, but there's some real big challenges with the metaverse we still have to solve um, in terms of just, you know, we need much more compute power. Um, you know, it's, there's a lot out there. Um, we talk about the idea of an energy drain, you know, with all of these beautiful visions of the virtual world, <laughs> it takes a lot of energy. And do we really want to, you know, go that route without having some solutions for that, which I'm sure somebody will solve. Um, so there's some big, big challenges still to set forth. That is a big rabbit hole to go down, totally. <laughs> which we do not have time for. Um, before we get into our last segment, I like to do a short summary of some of the stuff that we we talked about uh, in the podcast so far. One of the first things you opened with is that you're very, as a parent, very pro games um, as a as a way to have a creative outlet, which I know that that was mentioned in passing, but I think that's very important for all the folks out there. Um, when you, when we talked about your job and your, your development and your transition, one of the things I thought was great was if it's possible, you should always define the role that you want to do. You should, if you are in a good environment and you have the right management, then you should go for it and put yourself out there, figure out what you're best matched for and do the best that you can for the people that are also supporting you on the other side. There is a difference in people who play games versus people who watch people play games. They require different advertising and Every environment is kind of discreet. You have to think about it in its own way. That brought us into a discussion on intrinsic advertising, which are a way of naturally placing ads inside the games. It's different than native. It's meant to delineate from web and other ads. And the context for ads placed in the environment itself is very specific to the type of environment you start with. So you have these kind of discrete entities where you're figuring out how to make advertising very natural and native to the in-game when it comes to DEI principles, there's a general wave and undercurrent of change and for a push for better representation, but gaming has a long way to go. As you said, we've all seen the headlines. One of the great pieces of advice that I thought you gave was to join groups and or find people or form your own group to help you shed light on things that you might not know and have difficult conversations while also supporting each other. We ended with a short discussion on the metaverse, and I like that you, you differentiated between the metaverse, capital T, capital M, and metaverse experiences. The first may be science fiction, but the second is real and will change and evolve as tech and gaming, including gaming engines, evolve. And then I liked your little tagline of content, context, creative, content, and consumer. So thinking about those four things, how they all work together, how one flows into the next. So I think that that's going to be a lot of good lessons for people listening. I love to end each podcast with the same, the same segment. It's called a moment of reflection. It's a chance just for you to think about your career and where you're at. And I would love to ask you, what is one thing you would like to tell your younger self about getting into the gaming industry and being successful? My younger self would, um, I had the opportunity to learn basic programming. And I was in sixth grade, which was very, very rare. Mm -hmm. And I didn't. Yes, um, because I've been around a really long time. Um, but I stopped. I didn't continue with programming. And I, I, it wasn't really offered in school. So, But I, my younger self, if I had the opportunity to tell me, I would say, go search it out. Go lean in harder. Now it's, it's much more readily available for younger people in school. 
And I don't mean, you know, necessarily, but I value developers greatly. Obviously, they're the core of our company. Um, but what I would say is, is that I would learn a lot earlier um, the principles that I could design something. I could have my creative side and I could fill that tech need at the same exact time much earlier in my career if I would have just kept, you know, kind of going and leaning into those, those both those design principles. And that's what I love about gaming. I'm so enamored with creators. They are creators. And they're creators that have both these high-end creative capabilities and high-end technology capabilities. Usually one, an industry has one or the other. But to truly be you know, brilliant developers, you have both. And um, I would tell my younger self, keep going, because I love both sides of that equation for me. And, um, you know, I'm really passionate about supporting others who do too. That, that's really great because I haven't, I haven't actually had a lot of people give uh, sort of hardware, like straight, this is maybe what you should think about advice. Um, and I like that you're talking about how, how gaming is really the fulcrum of creativity and hard learned skills. Um, mm-hmm. I all, I too wish I had taken programming more seriously. Um, and I always joke about going back to school for that. But I think it can be, I'm a big writer and a big reader. I think it can actually be kind of similar in that, in that creative way and learning a language and going through with all that. So I think that that's, that's very fun. Uh, this is a very fun, different way of thinking about things than I've had before, especially on this segment. So I appreciate that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, where can people find you if you want to be found or follow Frameplay or follow your work? Certainly. I mean, um, I'm definitely big on LinkedIn. Uh, that's probably my primary social channel. Um, you know, Twitter by default, because I post everything there twice. Um, but definitely frameplay.gg um, is our company's website, which is good. And frameplay on, follow frameplay on LinkedIn too. We tend to post a lot. We, we're trying to just inspire and educate the industry and make sure every, and we get this right, right? Um, and we want to make sure everybody understands, you know, that if we serve the gamer at the center, um, then everybody, everybody wins. So that's where you can find us. Thank you so much for all of our listeners out there. Be sure to leave those five-star ratings and reviews. Check out other Holodeck Media podcasts, including Meta Business for all the metaverse finance stories you could ever want and Business of Esports for interviews with industry leaders. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Lindsay Poss. And you can catch me Wednesday nights on the Business of Esports live after show. You can catch this podcast in your feed every Tuesday. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Woman. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Woman.